You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? It is episode 137 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yuen and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have formerly self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Ju. Hi Marvin. Up, happy New Year. Oh, it's been oh yes, happy Chinese New Year? Lunar New Year? Are we talking about white New Year? We're talking about our New Year. Our new yes, almost, almost. It's the Sunday year of the rabbit and our cat. Hmm? Cat for our Viet fam. Oh. Yeah, I learned that fairly recently. And they oh. they have a cat, not a rabbit. But yes, year of the rabbit. Do you know any rabbits? My cousin, my oldest cousin, my oldest cousins actually are rabbits. What's like the vibe of a rabbit? I have no idea. This that's more your territory than mine. I think um, the I only, only rabbit in my family that I know of is like an uncle I don't fuck with. So oh. I'm gonna say bad. <laughs> They're fine. My cousins are cool. Um, yeah. Happy New Year. Hope you get rich. Gong shi fa tai. Gong shi fa You know, it doesn't hit the same when you start when you when you transition from being the ones that get the red envelope to having to give the red envelope. So Marvin, you're now married. Do um, I get a red envelope from you? Are you in my family? I thought we were fa- we're a <laughs> podcast together. Is that not family enough? I mean, I mean, I mean. You're hesitating. Okay, no, that's a no. No, I think you know how you have like there's like two different types of red envelopes, right? Two different types of home ball. One is for family, which usually has the bigger denominations, and one is for your friends' kids, and that has like. The five dollars or the one dollar. Yeah, like the ceremonial one. Yeah, yeah. I'll take a ceremonial one. one. Five bucks the, is like yeah. coffee. <laughs> yeah. So I also I think in this generation too, because I don't know how it is in your family, but none of the kids were fucking getting married. So they just were like, We we need to stop. Like, sorry, once you're like in college, like you, you don't get any more. Well, does your family engage in the act of like account balancing that my family does, which is um, the money that I get throughout my life for home balls gets sent to my cousin in the form of a like wedding present, which is sent back to me in form of my wedding present, and so on and so forth. I feel like we, I feel like my family's not as good about that as some other families because I've definitely have kept like petty dibs even as a child, <laughs> and definitely think there's some like imbalance. Like I have some uncles that did not get me. Like they're not super close. They're like you know like cousins of my parents but like i very because as a kid you also very distinctly remember who does and does not get you presents or like mm. your birthday or christmas and like i know she's getting their kids shit that like i didn't get any presents from them growing <laughs> up granted there's also like an age thing like my parents are a little bit older in their generation so there's a lot of dynamics in play but no the penny in me is like this is not equal it is not equal so i'm not playing by the rules <laughs> Huh. I, I I guess I did cross over, huh? You did. You you have to give it. So like I do you have a lot of like nieces, nephews and like younger cousins? I do, but they're not local. So I guess I guess their you kind of get a pass. Deferred. deferred in the forms of if I ever show up for one of their birthdays or Yeah, or graduation, graduation or, or if you get their wedding. Yeah. yeah. You got to start racking that up. Yeah. I mean yeah. that's yeah. that's the the cost of being close to your family, I guess. Yeah, um, it costs it costs money. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, does your family? What's what's what are your family's um, New Year's traditions? We're pretty chill. Uh, my parents grew up in like very, like, deep urban communist poverty, mm. like in the city. So they're not big on a lot of things because I just think like there was nothing much to celebrate. Or Mao was like, "That's not a big deal." I mean, I guess, so the, yeah, I feel like Spring Festival, a.k.a. Lunar New Year, is like the one tradition that not even Mao could like stamp out. Right. Because it's the one thing you had to give the people. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's it's, you know, we do a lot more cultural stuff. We don't do temple visits. My family also pretty much lives all on the same street. So we don't really do family visits. <laughs> we eat dinner. Um, 
I will use it as an excuse not to take a shower sometimes if oh, it's yeah. like in the middle of winter. Do you like leave your lights on and stuff? Do you do that? No, no, we um, don't even like I don't do a deep clean. Um, I used to kind of like as a kid, like used to like like be able to hustle like new clothes from it. Mm. But like now you, I have to buy my own new clothes. I don't own anything red. I only own like I kind of only wear neutrals. So <laughs> yeah, we're like very chill. Just dinner. Many times I've actually missed those dinners because I was at Sundance, uh, which we are not at this year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this is the first time I'm getting to celebrate Lunar New Year with my family in a while. Yeah, I think it's interesting because. Uh, my wife's family, they're northern Chinese. So they do the dumpling things. They do the the hiding money and dumplings. And it's actually, as someone who did not grow up with that tradition, kind of traumatic because like I like to eat. Wait, there's like my real money in the dumpling? Fear of biting down on something. So the tradition is like you hide like coins in certain oh. dumplings. And if you find that dumpling, then you get like a dollar. Right. That does not seem very sanitary. I mean, the, the coins are cleaned and, you know, they're sanitized okay. and, and all that. Um, but it's just for me, it's like I want to chomp on my <sighs> dumplings without fear of chipping a tooth. Um, I feel like I would like not chew and just swallow the dump, like the, the <laughs> coin. Yeah. And it'd be really awkward. Like, wait, where's the coin? Like, uh oh. Well, just you and I are Southerners, so we don't. We didn't grow up with that tradition at all. Yeah. And again, like deep urban poverty. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know what they had to eat on Chinese New Year. Yeah. Um, my mom's family, their tradition is gambling. So. Um, ah, the most Chinese of traditions. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's actually pretty diabolical. We would get our homebound money and then we would play this dice game using our homebound money as like as like the deposit, right? So my mom, more often than not, would probably end up winning all the homebound money back from us. That's that's she hustled you. She taught you a valuable life lesson. Yeah. So yeah. But yeah, it just I do miss, you know, my my it's it's pretty early this year, but I remember like my my birthday's like in the middle of the year. So it was like a really good spacing. Like I would get new Chinese New Year money. And then like just as I was dwindling, it would be like, oh, I get birthday money. And then like it was kind of a tough fall. And it's like, okay, Christmas money, let's go. <laughs> um, and then Christmas, you buy yourself a bunch of things. And so, um, yeah, just I'm not married yet. And I don't have met that many nieces and nephews. So I am going to enjoy my last year of like not having to do that. I do, I would be very excited though to get like really cute red envelopes. I feel like I would get like the hipster bullshit red envelopes made by like some artists sold in some like gentrified <laughs> at the, art, at the art gallery. Market. Yeah, yeah. I want to be that auntie. Oh. Uh, so that's exciting. But I feel like and then, those and then my. are a little I, too precious to give out to just anybody though. No, it's fine. I have like one nephew right now. So like he's just going to get all the stuff. So, mm. you know, it's it's manageable. I feel like if you have like, a gaggle of like nephews and nieces it gets annoying but like one one is doable one is fun you get to play pretend <laughs> um you know even if and like i'm on the i'm on the dad side of the family for my nephew which sucks <laughs> i mean you are going to be the dad's like yeah being on the dad's side sucks it's like a truth universally acknowledged so like the only way i can really win is like stuffing the red envelope every year so that is the plan Oh, he's young right now. Not to literally just newborn, you know, not old you, enough to appreciate. But give me a few years. I'll be cool. Rich auntie who stuffs that fucking red envelope. <laughs> I mean, when you're a kid, even like five one dollar bills seems like a lot of money. Even yeah, though also when we were a kid, though, there wasn't insane inflation. Yeah. yeah. Twenty bucks used to buy you fucking anything you wanted now. OK, I don't even think a hundred buys you anything you want. I feel like you got to go up to like. Double digit hundreds. Do you remember when, like, or like, like you know, like more than like one hundred, a, a buck seven, right? Yeah, quickly, you buy one get one free, a <laughs> dollar. There was no no toy. There was nothing you couldn't get for twenty bucks. And like now, I feel like it's minimum a hundred for anything good, and if not a hundred, like the real good stuff that you know your parents won't buy you, you gotta go up a little bit. But yeah, that's the park of being the childless cool auntie. Like you can do that. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that is the plan. Well, I look forward to your days as the cool baller auntie. Oh, yeah. I definitely also want to be the auntie that like takes them to like get their first tattoo. Oh. When they're 18. I will okay. do that. I'll pay for the first tattoo. <laughs> you know, just to stir shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you have kids, Marvin, let me know. I'll take them to get their first tattoo. Oh, I will. I will keep that in mind. Huh. Well, as you can hear, our third seat, um, Han Wen, is not with us today. She is um, busy um, on her very jam-packed week at TCA Critics Week. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up with her next week and ask how her New Year's went. I know. Um, she's in the throes of TCA, so she doesn't exist for like the next week. <laughs> But uh, just and I are here to talk about the black comedy, The Menu, um, which we just watched uh, streaming now on HBO Max. And yeah, I feel like we're going to have a good conversation. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is bringing us through this week. Jess, what's popping? All right. So this has been a really tough few weeks. As you may hear, I'm a little sick still. I'm recovering. It's not COVID. COVID. It's just lame, regular sickness because I had like a... I had like a party weekend. I didn't even drink Marvin. Didn't even even partake in anything illegal. I literally just didn't sleep enough over the course of the weekend and like jumped a little too hard dancing. And was now this I'm your like your bachelor sick. party or someone else's? No, it was someone else's <laughs> bachelor party. So like collectively over like three days, I think I slept six hours. Oh wow! Because I had I don't know what's in the water in Texas, but maybe it's like I drank too much espresso or like. I was hyped off the vibes of friendship, but like I could not go to sleep. So it was more of that than anything else, which is really lame. I can't even say like I went super hard. It's like, no, I just didn't sleep enough. And like <laughs> this is what my body does at this age. Yeah, Jess, you're not you're not in your 20s anymore. You can't do that. I'm not. But like this is the college group. And I feel like when, I have a theory that every time you're with a college group of friends, you want to relive those college days. And it just it doesn't work anymore. We bought we like rented an Airbnb. We bought so much beer. No one touched it. Like the sodas went. Like that was our treat. And I was like, okay, I'm recalibrating a little bit as to what is the new vibe. There were also two babies on this bachelor trip. Oh, wow. Bachelorette trip. I thought that's, that's when you no know you're right? old. You're just like, oh, there's gonna there's babies on this trip because like some of them have newborns that they cannot leave behind. Just <laughs> get some childcare. Yeah. <laughs> Don't bring the babies to the party. They're not gonna remember the party. <laughs> Did the baby but, party? The baby was the baby was kind of lit. The baby was kind of <laughs> lit. The baby might have been lit more more lit than all of us. And then, um, you know, the week prior, I was dealt with a twenty four hour blackout and a forty eight hour internet shortage stoppage. So, like, my whole life has been a mess right now. I'm still catching up. So, my what's popping is Dayquil and TikToks about the new Prince Harry book Spare, which I've not been able to read yet because I've been either just sleeping or sitting in darkness. But my God, it sounds juicy and I cannot wait to read it in full. I mean, I've heard bits and pieces through um, my wife follows TikToks through her Instagram stories, which is a roundabout way to not download TikTok herself. And hearing people talking about, I guess, something about Harry's penis. Yes, he apparently had frostbitten penis at Will's wedding. But that's like the least scandalous thing. It's like, you know, you find out all these things were lies, all these stories that they'd spun about like how close they were. And, you know, the family, it's just just all a lie, which isn't surprising. But like, especially if you remember like in real time, like ever hearing these stories, it's like, oh, that that was just a lie. Um, And then it's interesting because... You know, I'm actually not the biggest Meghan and Harry fan. I think that they are a lot more traditional than some people are giving them credit for. Like the whole vibe was like they wanted to be part of the royal family and and participate in this like institution of colonialism. Right. But then like they wouldn't let them. Um, But I am very, very entertained by the uh, the mess. The mess, because like in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter? No, it's not really. It doesn't really matter. It's like celebrity, um, and it's just so interesting to dissect the kind of like British royal family version of the Kardashians, right? Because it's all just PR and marketing, and 
image building and brand building on this just like oddly large scale <laughs> and respect for Harry getting his. Cause like this was also explained to me in various TikToks. It's like, you know, other people have been profiting off the selling of his narrative. So now he's just taking agency about that and like making money for him and his family because like the very truth is like he does need a certain level of like protection, right? Like, like apparently he's like, Security costs like six million dollars a year, which I believe. And like to it's kind of hard to be like it's this weird thing like, oh, like little poor little rich boy, but also like, oh, you really did not ask for this. And I feel like he genuinely would get rid of all this if he could just have his mom back, you know, have his family safe. Oh, that man's like real fucked up and (laughs) like mommy issues up the wazoo, understandably so. But like also it could have been way worse, mommy issues. He could have like been Prince Andrew, you know, he could have like been uh, like dating girls who looked exactly like Diana. Yikes. So, you know, all things considered, I'm just like, I hope that you have generally have a happy and peaceful life. Um, You know, his family sounds like it sucks. What family doesn't suck? But I mean, like, you know, our though. sucky family. Yeah. But our sucky families aren't like blown up, like for the world to see. So, I'm enjoying the mess, the mess that doesn't involve me and really has no bearing on the larger, <laughs> like, 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 l- like quality of life of people. Like, this is kind of the best drama, right? You say that, but so many people care so much about. Yes. This yes. Whole thing. And I, I and I do think the element of like racism, misogynoir, when it comes specifically to like Meghan Markle is really bad. But also like in the grand scheme of things, like. Are they making laws? No. Are they, you know, dictating like the rights of people? No. It's like, it is like celebrities because like celebrities get into these scandals and like it doesn't really matter to people's day-to-day life. Um, But this is like not our mess to deal with because we're American. So it feels like very <laughs> entertaining just to watch and not have to care to- too much. Yeah, I'm so glad we don't have to deal with uh, generational wealth, Nepo babies, who uh, actually we do have to deal with that stuff. We have to deal with that in our own way. But I will say, um, like I hope that you know, let the me- royal mess continue. Um, this is like reading. This is a lot less concerning than like reading all the crazy shit about George Santos, who is like a lawmaker. If he yeah. wasn't a lawmaker that had like a portion of power, I would actually find this whole story and his whole vibe endlessly hilarious. Uh, but but this man yeah. has a vote, so has political some political power. You know that's that's the concerning part. But if you were to tell me like, oh, he went from being a gay uh, a a drag queen in Brazil committing crimes to like a s- member of the U.S. House of Representatives, I was like, I would watch that Netflix series in a heartbeat. But it's like, oh no, he's in the House of U.S. Representatives, so we have enough of our own problems to deal with. Um, let this one be a flurry <laughs> that we do not have to take on. I mean, even in the UK, it's not exactly a matter of like politics even there, right? Because the royal family is not a political entity. No, they're just a head of state. Like they're yeah. just ceremonial. But like again, they're just celebrities. They yeah. sell things with a celebrity. And I I do think hot take, they should hire Chris Jenner to do their PR crisis management and their rebrand. I think that would be so fascinating. I don't understand that. But it's fine. It's fine. This is this is the Kardashians, not your wheelhouse, not for you. But what what is your wheelhouse, Marvin? What have you been doing? What what's popping with you? Yeah, what's popping is um video games. Uh, I've been playing a game that I picked up while I was locked in my room during my my bout with COVID. Um it's a game called Melatonin. Um and it's a, it's a fun rhythm game. This is a game I think even you would like, Jess, because it's like a cozy kind of fun game about just hitting buttons to a beat. Um, so Melatonin is a game. I don't know if you played the Rhythm Heaven series on the DS. I have. It's very hard because I have very bad rhythm. <laughs> well, luckily for you, this... So Melatonin is kind of a take on that because as of now, there is no Rhythm Heaven for the Switch. So this is the closest thing we have. It's also available on, on Steam and other platforms as well. But yeah, it's it's a, the same type of game where um, 
you play through stages um, where you uh, we, you play through stages that have different button prompts, and then basically um, you play through different stages where um, the game will prompt you using either a musical cue or a visual cue, and you hit certain buttons to the beat. And so um, the conceit in this game is you're a dude who falls asleep on his couch and starts dreaming about things like food or money or online dating. And then you play different mini games based on those themes. Um, right now, I'm on the third night, and my dreams are become a lot more um, abstract. So now I'm dreaming of time, and space, and um, and nature. Um, but the good news for people like you, Jess, who are rhythmically challenged, is there are assist functions that you can turn on, which makes the uh, window for pushing the right button much larger so you don't have to be super precise and that's also, cheating marvin that's for that's for that's for losers and babies i'm just saying don't you aren't you tired of losing in these games yeah but like cheating like using the using that's like using the bumpers when you bowl I and guess. i need the bumpers but it's really sad but on the other hand sometimes you just want to have fun and so I really like these accessibility options to give people um, like you and and like my wife who um, aren't familiar with more Twitch-based gaming to have more fun with the, the game. Because this game is all about vibes as well. So, you know, sometimes you just want to get those vibes. And, you know, there's different levels of accessibility options. Um, there's the relaxing on the precision of the button presses. Um, there's an option to turn on the metronome so you can hear the beat. And there's also another option to actually put button prompts on screen as well. So, you know, depending on your level, uh, you can turn them on. And as you feel more comfortable with the game, you can start, you know, turning them off. Um, so, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's just a cool kind of just chill play a few rounds before bed. That's the other thing, right? You don't want to be frustrated before you go to bed. You just want to... Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be too amped up, which some games make you... The new pick cross really amps me up. It's <laughs> it's not very relaxing. Would Don't play that right before bed. But, you know, I'm glad you found... When, when you first said melatonin, I thought you were literally, like, knocking back melatonins. And I was like, are you okay? Like, what's up, buddy? Like, you want to talk about this offline? Oh, no, I'm fine. I have... You can ask my wife. I have no problems falling asleep anywhere. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I think um, it was on sale when it first came out. I don't know if it's still on sale, but if you ever catch it on sale, or if any of that sounds interesting, it's definitely a good, a good cozy game for you to uh, to check out. Um, something that you might be interested in, Jess, also is: Have you heard of uh, a little to the left? No, I have not. Um, it's a game that my, my my wife downloaded on her Switch. Um, it's basically an organization game, so it's different puzzles <gasps> where you try to figure out what the solution is by like shifting things around, putting things in different oh my orders. God. Uh, putting things in different certain patterns. Okay. Um, and um, the twist is, as the levels progress, there are certain levels where if you take too long, a cat comes and messes up your board. So. No! Oh, my God. Okay, yeah, I'm going to check this out. <laughs> that seems very um, soothing. Yeah. It's so funny because I love games where you clean or do chores. Oh, yeah. And I don't do them in real life. Like, I'm terrible about putting things away in real life. So. But you're... Uh, your stardew valley farm yo my farm is so optimized i fucking love my farm yes (laughs) yeah see i can play games that aren't depressing yeah i'm happy for you i'm happy for you i'm waiting for like the twist where it's like oh you're actually like it's a zombie apocalypse or like this is the escapist dreams of child soldier who like just wants to live a normal life i mean i haven't played through there's like five chapters and i've only on number three so who knows it might take a dark turn somewhere i mean there is a level where you're literally just dreaming about grabbing money falling from the sky so you yeah, know. doesn't everyone dream about that? No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's what's popping for this week. Uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna sit down for the most important meal of our lives with a discussion of the menu. Stick around. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Ramen. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Ramen Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Arrakis to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You 
might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun. Hey everyone, uh, before we get back to the show, um, I just want to tag in here to give a quick spoiler warning. Um, Justin and I get really into our conversation and um, some plot beats may have slipped out. So I know we've been trying to keep these to a spoiler zone at the end of the episodes the last couple of times, but uh, it just it just happened. So if you have not watched the menu and do plan on watching it, I would recommend um, catching that movie first before listening to our discussion. It's streaming now on HBO Plus, and you know, Justin and I had a lot to say about the film, but we both did really enjoy it. So um, if you're on the fence, um, I would say just just give it a watch and then come back and listen to us talk about it. Um, but yeah, thanks again for listening to Good Pop, and um, now back to the show. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, for today's episode, we're talking about the dark comedy horror film, The Menu, Directed by Mark Mylod, uh, written by Seth Rice and Will Tracy, all three of whom have all worked on the HBO series Succession, um, which I guess comes through in some of their, their the themes of this film. The film stars a star-studded cast featuring um, actors like a star-studded cast featuring Ray Fiennes, Annie Taylor Joy, Nicholas Holt, Judith Light, John Leguizamo, and the great Han Chow, playing restaurant staff and uh, privileged VIPs who travel to a private island uh, for a very exclusive dinner at the world-renowned restaurant Hawthorne uh, for a $1,200 tasting menu um, created by Chef Julian Solwick, played by Ray Fiennes. Um, but things start to take a sinister turn as they work through their courses. Um, the film is streaming now on HBO Plus and is a build as a horror, but it's really more of a satire on things like the food industry, fine dining, and class and privilege. Um, it does some of those things really well, and others could have done a little better, I think. Um, but yeah, I guess Jess... As a fellow person who enjoys food, what did you think of the menu? So I think it was marketed very strangely. Um, I think from first glance, the title, the cast, and all the visual imagery makes it seem like some kind of prestige drama. And like, you're like, oh, menu food. I liked it. And then like, I started hearing that like, oh, no, it's actually like a horror movie. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, I don't like horror movies. But then I watched it. I'm like, this isn't really a horror movie. It's more like a satirical thriller. But I wouldn't even say it's a thriller very cleanly. It's it's just like a very extreme black comedy. With some violence yeah, I mean, in the it. way that the trailer, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you ever saw the trailer, but it did give like sinister vibes. So like part of me was kind of wondering, like, are they eating like is the twist going to be they're eating people? Are they like, demo- is this some, some sort of demon cult masquerading as fine dining? Yeah, yeah, that's what that's that's the vibe it gave off. And it really wasn't. It was much funnier than I think I anticipated. And it wasn't as because i think horror like horror is much more extreme or there's this element of horror of like you know being chased or like being being like in danger um which i don't know i guess this movie has but it, it's it's just very tonally different than horror. there's like no jump scares there's no like but it is creepy and unsettling gross. throughout and it's creepy it's creepy it's like- you know what it is? It's like the same vibes that like the latter half of Parasite gave, which is just like something's wrong here. Yes, it's yeah. unsettling. But like I wouldn't classify Parasite as a horror it's movie. It's not, but it's kind of, you know, like there's something sinister, right? There's something sinister underlying everything. Yes. But um, but and- ultimately it's like very it's very heightened, so it's much funnier. Like all the characters are a little bit you know out of this world, including, you know, the chef Ray Fiennes' character. Um, and really, the only one you could root for is Anya Taylor Joy. So there's this element of like, oh, like, do I care if any of these people are in danger? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that the film is explicitly saying 
that no, you shouldn't care about any of these people. <laughs> we shouldn't care, which I think is ultimately what drives it to like a black comedy because we don't care about the people who are being hurt. And it almost feels just, yeah. right? I think we can take a look at this film in two ways, right? One is as like a send up or like a parody of like fine dining culture, which I think it does really well. Um, I was told ahead of time that like, oh, you might have a strong reaction to Nicholas Holt's character, Tyler, who is like the foodie character. And I was ready to be like skewered. But, you know, watching that character, like I thought the character was super funny too. Like, oh, I, He was like one of the best parts of the movie. Because um, I think we, I think we both, will own up to being foodies. I say that with quotation marks and a lot of disgust on ourselves. <laughs> but I think we have reached the crux where we understand that like we're no longer seeking to that same level. And like, or at least I am, I'll speak for myself. Like I've now come to the realization that like Michelin star restaurants suck. <laughs> and I would rather much eat Thai boat noodles on a plastic stool but like, you know, we all had to go through the Nicholas Holt journey to get yeah. here. I mean, that being said, I did last year spend um, not a small amount of money to eat at Alinea, which which is like a three star Michelin restaurant that like it's like a, one of those places you're not sure you'll, if you'll ever get to eat there. Um, but at the same time, I also feel like Michelin stars are kind of like, I guess they're a good guide, but they're not like guarantees of a good meal right because there are certain michelin star restaurants i've been to where it's like i have no idea why this is on it has list, one right are we talking about bistro nah I don't know, they don't have one anymore though well yeah they shouldn't because it sucked <laughs> um but yes i i you know i very um self-awarely saw myself in many of these characters dining in hawthorne <laughs> and i didn't necessarily well so and, and here's what i find really interesting like all sides in this movie are terrible, right? Like the yeah. chef, Ray finds his chef is not right. He's fucking insane. No one, like this movie isn't presenting what he or his basically crew of sous chefs and loyal um, followers are doing as like the right thing, the same thing or the like, um, you know, thing to do. And then the movie also skewers all these like different archetypes of what, kills i mean this specific sense it's food but you can translate it to different mediums of art and then that just leaves like anya taylor joy in the center of this and she's kind of like the uh what do you call it like the the unknowing the unwilling heroine like she's she's the one the being dragged man, into right? all yeah. of this right like dragged into this um but i would say like you know um i personally am like very I'm, I'm, I try to be sex positive. I don't think there's anything wrong with being a sex worker, but like it's an interesting choice to make her a sex worker. Yeah, we can and talk I about that. And I think there's criticism about that, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this film as like a a parody, skewering, fine dining culture, I think it's, I think that's where it succeeds the most, right? Because yes. it is criticizing not only the cult of like the celebrity chef and ultra fine dining, exclusive fine dining, but also all the pieces of culture that prop it up and like enable it right because you know we've seen especially over the last few years so many stories about the work abuse. environments the abuse yes. the you know the not getting paid yeah the labor issues of these restaurants of these chefs and also the media the culture the the apparatuses surrounding it that like covers the shit up too. Yes. Uh, and, you know, they make comment about the the sexual abuse, the sexism that happens in this that our chef is also guilty of. Um, and then there is this one of the funniest parts, I think, is that like the part where they let the men try to escape, <laughs> uh, which I don't know if this was deliberate, but I don't know if you ever like any of these really fine dining restaurants. Sometimes they only give like a dish to the lady or they only give like a takeaway box to the lady. So there's also this very strange, like antiquated gender segregation. Um, and they kind of reverse it. And of course it's showing kind of how like shitty all these men are like the man, the man who leaves his wife. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's so, and, and I think it also comes at a good time. This movie comes at a good time. Cause like, you know, Noma, the number one restaurant in the world is closing yeah. because they basically can't afford to keep this restaurant running. If they actually are going to pay their staff. 
Yeah, I mean, the whole like concept or the whole um, idea of a fine dining restaurant is like more and more people are admitting that it's just it's an unsustainable. It's unsustainable. Endeavor. And I think the big question is like, is it even worth it? Like, is it worth it? Like, what's what's the point? And I, I do think it's interesting that he uses food as opposed to another art form, because I do think food, even though this restaurant is inaccessible by design, right? It's on this island. It's like twelve hundred dollars a person. They seat 12 people a night. It's probably still the most accessible form of high art or high luxury that people can afford. Like, I will never spend $30,000 on a Birkin bag, <laughs> but I would probably shell out like $300 for a meal. I have sold out $300 for a meal. I so. have also shelled out. Three- it was a very disappointing <laughs> meal, I will say. Oh, I will say the um, the meal I had on the was as advertised, so. Definitely worth it for me. I don't know about other people. I've I've, I've seen people go there and say I'm still hungry at the end. Um, I did laugh. I did laugh when at the dessert course in the movie <laughs> with um the the painting of the floor and was like oh oh yeah I, I wonder if Marvin <laughs> I wonder if Marvin's having a good time with this. <laughs> yeah, I definitely had that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen moment uh, when I saw that. Um, Beautiful yet pretentious dessert. Um, I got to say the food photography in this film was pretty spot on. Um, I believe they got the cinematographer of the Chef's Table series to um, do the shots. Yes, the food actually did look quite good. uh, With the exception of once we get to the proteins, they start getting very boring, which is how I feel about all the proteins. (laughs) Um, And I think I believe Dominic Kren of Altier Kren and Petit Kren in San Francisco, one of the few women with more than one Michelin star restaurant. She was also on Iron Chef. The, the, she's also the on Iron one. Chef. She's um, it's uh, it's she's a she was the food consultant and invented the dishes, um, which honestly looked like a pretty. I don't think that looked like a twelve hundred dollar meal. <laughs> I'm gonna be real. Would you have paid? To, I would have been pissed if I paid twelve hundred dollars for that meal. I don't think I would ever pay twelve hundred dollars for a meal. I think you know, like the 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 highest I've ever gone is maybe like. Four four fifty. Was that with or without wine? That's without wine. Wine was yeah. Wine wine, was wine really bumps it up. Wine can be just as expensive as the food menu. But I mean, it's just I th- I think the movie's also making like I for me it's like it's about food, but it's not really about food. I think he's really making commentary on like art in general, and my inkling is also film. Um, because it's we're talking about like food like art in this case food as it intertwines with things like capitalism right and when we what happens when we become too pretentious about it and there's all these people invested in it um in a way that i think is unique to our modern society because we have too much time and a lot of internet yeah so what happens when things get democratized to this degree is it good? Is it bad? And then I think that in itself is pretty bad. But like, what do you throw in capitalism? Chris, I think that's really what we're talking about here. Like money, right? Capitalism, things that have to exist or that has to exist in a capitalist structure. Yeah. And that brings us to, I guess, one of the the other big theme that this film is trying to get at is that money and class. And, you know, the, the film reads like an eat the rich narrative. But I think this is where it kind of falls short. The film seems to want to paint all the diners, except for Anya Taylor-Joy's character, um, as compromised and, I guess, complicit um, in this defilement of art and, as such, um, deserve comeuppance, essentially. And I feel like that it gets but a little But it's money. not as fun. It's not as fun when the person, when, like, it's not fun of experience when the person eating the rich is also rich. Yeah, there's that. And... That message also gets super muddy when you kind of pause and take stock that, you know, if you consider any of the other things that work here, including race, gender, power, everything gets super iffy, right? Everything's just a little muddy because the majority of people in that room are like either people of color or, or women, right? Yeah, yeah. And though I don't believe there is a major black character if I recall correctly. One of the tech bros is. One of the tech bros. It's like yeah. Asian tech bro, black, or finance bros, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, that's true. And they do seem, 
they're American, I believe. I think most of these people yeah. are American. Yeah, you have Asian Finance Bro, Hispanic Finance Bro, Black Finance Bro, Hispanic Movie Star, Hispanic Movie Star's assistant, wife who's been cheated on by rich husband. Yeah, in a gross way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and that was also, like, weird. Like, I don't know how that plays into the greater... Yeah. So that's the thing. I feel like the director's trying to make it seem like, okay, all these people deserve to be killed. Um, but we don't get a lot of backstory about even though even though this is in theory or on the surface supposed to be about like the working class and those who serve, right? Yeah. One has completely lost this way. We actually don't get to know much about Anya Taylor Joy's character or background. And we basically get to know nothing per- about the personal um stories about any of his staff or his you know maitre d like hong chow's character yeah they are just kind of almost like mindless emotionless automatons who will blindly follow this chef which i mean you could be like talking about the cult of personality here but like again like if we're talking about it as like satire on class and privilege like you're not really humanizing any of the you know, the underclass, the working yeah. class. Like reading it as an allegory for this whole institution just deserves to be blown up and torn down. I think it works, but to add the layer of like, and also eat the rich, that, that yeah. part doesn't work as well. I honestly, also on my hot take, Marvin, I don't think Felicity deserved to die. She did nothing wrong. No, I yeah. I think that's, that's I think that's what I'm getting at. It's like, there's definitely people in that room that were like, yeah, you guys are scumbags and probably deserve what's coming to you. But there are other people there that are like, you're guilty by association, really. And and like Felicity is the assistant, right? She's the assistant to Yes. To John Guizamo's like fading star. Movie star, yeah. Who's, Honestly, he didn't deserve to die at either. He just He's trying his he best. Ju- and he I just mean, made a bad movie. <laughs> My dude, and, maybe take some Maybe like calm down a little bit, Chef. Yeah. And, you know, that is knowing what we know about how difficult it is for actors of color to be in good movies. I think that that's a layer that obviously this film was written and directed by white dudes. So it's probably like a blind spot for them. Like they wanted John Leguizamo to play this guy. And John Leguizamo was a great actor. I mean, I'm sure he had lots of fun with the role. Also, just think, I mean, at the end of the day, like, again, it, overall, really fun movie, really funny movie. I <laughs> laughed a lot. And especially as someone who has, like, participated pretty deeply in food culture and foodie culture and, like, high dining establishments. Like, I have been maybe not to the extreme or expensive Hawthorne, but, like, I've eaten foam. I've had, like, <laughs> things that had, like, those, like, those really pretentious Beer dresses. Spies olives and stuff like that yes i've had the spear fried olive um i have it's okay honestly i've i've eaten molecular gastronomy when that was the hot shit um i even uh what was it i've been to um I've, you know those one of those pretentious dishes that that was done very well like this like the no bread bread course <laughs> yeah like i've i've participated willingly in all of that I have made dumbass faces like Nicholas Holt's character when he eats something. I have made comments exactly like the food critic um, about like how the plate's not right for this dish and like why bother? Like this is so tired. So yes, guilty about all of that. But like at the end of the day, like when you do dig a little deeper and you're trying to understand what this movie is trying to say, I always come back to this thing that like Ray finds chef character, Chef Slowick. It's not powerless. He could merely, like, if, spoiler, cooking a burger brought him so much joy, he could merely just stop cooking this fancy food and go cook a burger. Like, no one's stopping him. So, like, it's, a lot of it is, like, I feel like it's a prison, like, like, this is, like, prison of your own making, my dude. Like, you could merely just not. But I also feel like the white man perspective is, like, oh, no, how could I give this all love? It's like when I was watching decision to leave i'm like my dude you can merely just not cheat on your wife <laughs> but there would be no movie right if these dumb men didn't do these dumb things yeah for sure and going back to the like did felicity deserve to die or not, i feel like there's, there's there's an element missing where it's like some of these characters like felicity's character she's not like rich i mean 
she may have some privilege for like being a Ivy League student with without debt, I guess. But she's still there as like just working. working class. I mean, right? I think yeah. I think the implication that she's like a Napo baby with rich parents, which is like fine, but she doesn't like deny it. Yeah. I thought that was like the, where we landed on the Nepo baby discourse. Like, it's fine <laughs> if you're a Nepo baby as long as you own up to it. Yeah. And a part of me thinks that, you know, the Eat the Rich allegory would have worked a lot better if everyone just were on the same level power wise, you know? I mean, it's also just like, it's not it's not warranted. The true bad guy is the chef, but Ray <laughs> Fiennes is so charming. There were parts where he did look like Voldemort cooking, I will say. I mean, he is Voldemort, so. He is Voldemort, but like, the whole vibe, right? And he he's so charming. And I also just feel like we like we just like funny people. Like I I mean, I know the director, the writer director, or sorry, the director Mark Myloid has worked on Succession. Um, but I think Succession does a better thesis statement about class and money, right? They're all just blatantly terrible people. Yeah. Um, like, it, yeah, a part of it is just like, it would have been even more fun if like they just went more all in and been like, we don't even need the Anya Taylor-Joy character because then it's too easy. Like, that's like, we need to root for her, obviously. She's our audience proxy. She's our innocent bystander. But then like, it's just, it just doesn't like really make that much sense if you think a little too hard about it. Yeah. I yeah, I definitely agree. It's definitely um again, the movie is fun. I had a lot of fun watching it. It was, you know, it 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 like fucks with you. It like has lots of interesting turns, twists and turns. And the part of it that's like a send-up to food culture is definitely like I was laughing at and with Tyler's character going through his like chef worship. There's that one scene, the Tyler's bullshit scene that I was just I was cackling. Tyler's bullshit. That was good. Um, I really love the scene where <laughs> they're just like, in addition to like, we're going to let you run, try to run away <laughs> and catch you. Um, just the like, just the whole like, um, anytime the food critic is like talking about like, like, oh, there's, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, we do talk like that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I guess we wouldn't be us if we didn't talk a little bit about the representation aspects of it, especially Asian American representation. What did you think of Hong Chao's character, um, Elsa? I think her name's Elsa. Yes, I think Hong Chao is always fantastic. She can take. She just like her line. Oh no, the best line in the entire thing is when she's like, "It's a tortilla." Let's <laughs> she repeats it like, "It's a tortilla." I'm like, that is fucking hilarious. She's always fantastic. I am. I am wishing that she gets to play roles that have a little more layers. Because mm. I do think placing an Asian woman in this like subservient right hand man, even though she has a lot of power as the maitre d' and like, you know, she's she's in charge of the front of the house. There's this weird dynamic when like, you know, you know that the chef Ray finds is pulling the shots and she's kind of doing his bidding. Um, and She's coming off as like more of those. Hor- she's bringing a lot of those horror elements. Yeah, she's definitely like the the, the most first sign of like something's of the, wrong. Yeah, yeah, like like everything from like the eye lack of eyebrows to just her manner. Like she's very unsettling, which is she's very good at it. And so that's like not a ding on Hong Chao, but I just feel like she hasn't been utilized in the way that we know she can, right? Like, she's always had to play second fiddle to, like, mediocre white men. <laughs> Talking about the Matt Damon movie. Not that saying <laughs> I dislike Matt Damon as an actor, but that movie was, like, atrocious. She was His character was just so boring, which was kind of the point. It was, like, an everyman. Or um, she's, like, is utilized as, like, the horror element rather than, like, maybe a human character. Yeah, she's definitely, like, someone who... We've both seen her do great lead acting in addition to character acting, but for some reason, she's always being utilized as, like, something sinister, something sneaky, like, kind of... Like, I wouldn't call it dragon lady roles, but, like, definitely, like, adjacent It's a little that, dragon right? lady. I mean, there's a lot of elements from Watchmen when she plays creepy lady True. And there's elements from... um. Yeah, 
Yeah, but like, you know, we've seen, I, you know, she's in the best episode of Forever, that weird like capsule episode. She's <laughs> very good in driveways, um, playing just like a human person. So like, can we get more roles where she gets to play a human woman? She's so good. Like, let her lead would be my only criticism. That'd be nice. Um, That'd be nice. Yeah. But, like, also, like, it's a tortilla. It's it's so fucking funny. Like. (laughs) Yeah, that was excellent delivery. Um, And, you know. Yeah, that's great. There's also Rob Yang, who uh, I'm not sure what else he's been in besides um, what I know him best as. Which is the character in Succession. I mean, the the thing is, like, a lot of these are just swaths, right? Like, you don't yeah. really get to know any of the characters any deeper. Um, so I think Nicholas Holt was actually fucking hilarious. One of the better parts of, best parts of this movie. Anya Taylor-Joy does have to make, you know, play kind of the straight person in this movie. Um, she's good in everything, though. So striking. Um, and then, can can we talk about the... Um, Reveal that she is uh, an escort, a paid escort. Yeah, that's something that the film um, wants to draw a lot of our attention to, uh, like equating sex work with kitchen work and how that sets her apart from the other diners. It just, I don't know. I don't know if it worked for me. Did it work for you? I mean, not, I don't know. Like, I, I think from a, like an expositional story point, it makes it sense. Like, okay, you don't know who she is. She's like just uh, someone hired. It kind of shows Tyler's inhumanity, right? That, you know, he's willing to sacrifice. And that kind of makes him, honestly, that's the biggest thing that makes him a dick, right? Like, he's willing to literally sacrifice an innocent person to, like, just eat this place. Um, But, like, this comparison of, like, it's, 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 it's just... It's missing something like this, like the statement they're trying to make about like working class, like people who sell the labor of their bodies um, is is falling a little flat for me because I do think that I think it's, it's not just the labor of your body when we're talking about art. Right. It's it's the creative thing that rich people, as much as they would love to be able to do it themselves, are not creative or not able to. Right. Because that's the great general, that's like the great like truth about art or like, you know, the generalization about art for for centuries. Like rich people wish they were as cool and could make art, but like art comes from, you know, art typically comes, especially new art, comes from like places of poverty and creativity and, you know, community. Like you have to be creative and that's kind of always been true. So they begin to try to purchase that creativity and in doing so kind of ruin the very art they wanted to encapsulate because the nature of art is that it kind of in some way is the exact opposite of capitalism but at the same time we're talking about two art forms that like have to exist with capitalism which is food like high dining and movie making (laughs) yeah i'm getting too deep than this movie deserves i mean while we're here then i feel like that allegory, like the this, the idea that okay, she as a sex worker is the one that deserves special treatment or deserves to live at the end. That kind of falls flat also when you say okay, so she deserves to live compared to the wife who's been cheated on or like the assistant to the movie star, right? Who is also doing like work to serve and service other people, right? Like I feel like the rules aren't exactly. They're not very clear. And yeah. it's unclear whether we're supposed to sympathize with Chef and the reasons he picked these people to um, die or whether we're supposed to empathize with what we are seeing. Because, like, honestly, like, I don't think, like, oh, you don't remember any dish. You know, like, that was his, that was Chef's um, critique about this, the wealthy couple. Yeah. Right. Who like they've been to his restaurant doesn't literally a dozen times can't remember one dish for them. It's just like a status thing they can check off and flex. But then we learn. So that's why the chef wants to kill them. But then we learn like the husband has like gross incestuous fantasies about his daughter. So like as a viewer, that makes us not want to root for him. But like the chef know that like, no. So it's like this weird thing of like we're getting like for some people, we're getting two sides of of 
like uh, two reasonings, but it's not clear which one is supposed to make us empathetic <laughs> towards them or like feel like their end is just. And the thing is, like, they didn't have to do much work to make us not like the old white dude, right? He was already giving off bad vibes to start. It's giving off bad vibes, but I'm like, some of these people are just like, I'm like, you know, your angel investor. He just wanted you to change something. I think that's really fair. Someone's giving you a shit ton of money. You hear them out. <laughs> yeah. But like like we mentioned, the the chef is also not blameless. And there's, you know, probably a reason why he wanted to be part of the final act too, right? Like Again, after all this, I'm just like, could you have just cert- just not done this yeah. and just gone back to make burgers or whatever made you happy, my dude? Like I mean, since men we're are so here, fucking dramatic, Marvin. Yeah, I mean, just since really we're here, stop. I guess we'll, you know, I'll, I'll stop a spoiler warning at the beginning. But, like, <laughs> what did you think about, like, the ending, like, the climax of this film is literally the climax of Ratatouille, right? It is the climax. <laughs> but Ratatouille did it better. It's like, uh, let me ask, let me have you cook something that will bring you back to the time, last time you were happy. I'm also like. My dude, simply go seek therapy. Like, you have the resources. No one is making you gun to your head. Make this shit. Like, your perfectionism and, like, insane, like, worldview is on you. <laughs> Men are so dramatic. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I guess I guess that's what this film is trying to critique, right? It's just, like, there's, like, this, like, insular kind of ecosystem around food and fine dining who has access to it and how like maybe the whole thing should be burned to the ground and to be honest that's exactly what's happening right that's just exactly what happened to noma um this past week yeah i mean all these very high level like pioneer places they are not sustainable like al bully closed down noma's closed down also like would you be pissed if you went and ate you paid however much noma was and you just like got scoby to eat <laughs> i think that's a thing they like fed you scoby right i don't know actually i don't i'm just saying i went to like a two-star michelin in denmark which like danish food like nordic food had its moment in fine dining like a few years ago and like all these dinners are like four or five hours long you get like multiple courses and like i have never not fallen asleep in any of these very long fancy dinners <laughs> like i have needed a nap um and then like it was in that basement so it's like really hot so temporarily i'm just like i'm not feeling too good like things are getting fuzzy like i'm very full from all the kombucha they're serving me and then at the end of the day i'm like honestly this whole meal just tasted like i ran through a forest and like someone like yeah whacked my mouth with a bunch of dill i think personally i if i were to pay that much for a meal i would prefer something along the lines of like what Alinea offers, which is kind of like thoughtful, interesting, fun things, as opposed to like the minimalist stuff that they portrayed in in the menu. And I'm assuming is like kind of what they do at those like Nordic places, right? I also do find it funny that uh, bring, bringing it back to Nicholas Hall, like a lot of them don't seat you for less than one person. So like, what are you supposed to do? Like, they don't let you sit by yourself. So like, what are you supposed to do if you just want to eat? <laughs> And no one will go with you or can afford it. I mean, to be perfectly honest, if you purchase that seating for two, you could probably find someone. Like, to do go I want to spend? But like, do you want to spend like again? These you know this, Marvin. These dinners are like five hours long. Like, <laughs> you want to spend someone a, sit across a stranger for five hours and be like, hey. I mean, if they're equally into this restaurant or that chef, I mean, at least you have something to talk about, right? I guess. As opposed just... to bringing someone who has no love or enthusiasm for i think that is the worst situation like i would not do what nicholas holt's character tyler does is bring someone who has no interest in eating at this place because that would be a bad time for me right i'd rather go with someone who i don't know but also shares my enthusiasm for like for what we're doing right oh, yeah but he's like a prick because he's like he knew everyone's gonna die it was well, just yeah. like I, mean, I don't care no sympathy for tyler at all and you know his his end was probably like one of the highlights for me, like one of the, like the loudest I laughed in, in the film was, was oh, again, Tyler's, Tyler's bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> and maybe this is just my bullshit, but um, I feel like if I was asked to make something in that kitchen, um, I could have at least put together something that 
Just throw some soy sauce on it. Bitches love that. Yeah. The amount of times I've been to like fancy ass restaurants, like Western style, white, you know, Californian cuisine restaurants, and they like serve me something very reminiscent of like something I would get in like a Cantonese seafood restaurant. It's too damn high. You know, it's because all these chefs are super inspired by Asian cuisine. Yeah, they go to like Japan one time and they're like, I'm going <laughs> to change the menu. I was like, sir, this is not what I came to Italy for. Um, can I just have a tortellini, please? True story. I was super pissed. I was like, I cannot believe I came all the way over here and you're feeding me Japanese food. Mm. You just some of these to- reservations, I maybe I just have bad luck, but also some of these reservations are like harder to get than like tickets to Coachella. I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Never again. I'm I'm over it. Um, you just went to Kirsten Kish's new restaurant, though, right? I did, but like, and that's kind of like the highest I'll go. Like, I feel like American dining, um, that California like shared plate style is as fancy as I would prefer to go now. Uh, I am big pro plate pro proponent of shared plates because I want to try a bit of everything. Um, you just have to order correctly. I feel like people who bitch about shared plates just don't know how to like strategize their order. I mean, also, you know, we're Chinese. That's just how we eat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nothing bugs me out more than seeing like um, I have seen. I think we've all seen like a table that has ordered individually at a Chinese restaurant. And you're like, oh, that's, that's not how it works. Uh, but we know when in Rome, you you eat what 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 the fare is. Like, why would I go somewhere to eat, you know, the same thing I can get here? Like, that's, that's the whole point of experiencing new things and traveling. Yeah. I ate a shit ton of cold bread with lard on it when I was in Scandinavia. When in Rome. Like you do. Like you do. Like you do. Like you do. <laughs> yeah. I guess... As we wrap up our conversation, um, we should ask ourselves, is the menu good pop? I'll say, even though I critiqued it to an inch of its life, like the food critic in the movie, I did think it was good pop. I think it's anytime we get a original movie that plays with genre and is, you know, with a wonderfully talented cast, we should celebrate that. And it was less scary than I thought it would be. I I would not classify this as a horror movie. I think that was a that was an L on their part. Um, but yes, more of this. And I do love movies about food. I love looking at people cook. Yeah, even in whatever form. Like even I've watched some super really <laughs> yeah, and I've watched some really like weird movies just because it had to do with food. So yeah, more more of everything like that. Yeah. I also thought it was good pop. Um, again, I feel like the menu as like a satire on food culture definitely nailed it. Um, as a critique on um, class, class and, co- privilege, and privilege, maybe not as fall. good. Um, yes. But Agreed. you know, they tried. They tried. Um, yeah, I also have- I also really like niche jokes. So like, I think we also got a lot of enjoyment because we are like very well versed in food culture. Um, and and I'm hoping there's more. Like, what, what would be next? Like, we need a comedy about what? Like, podcast culture? Oh, they've tried. I don't know. It's kind of podcast culture is still not as ubiquitous to like make it's, it work. It is kind of like the new job that all the rom com heroines and heroes have. Mm, that's true. A lot of podcasts. No one is a journalist anymore because print journalism is dead. So everyone's a podcast. They are. I've seen there, there's isn't there a show where the murder investigator is a podcaster? Yeah, it's called Only Murders a, in the Building. Well, yeah, there's that. There's there's one where they actually play it straight, though. I don't remember, but they, you know, Only Murders in the Building, um, in the the Sex and the City reboot, she's has a podcast now. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, Jess, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? Still on Twitter um, to the very last breath at Jess Jew Tweets. Yep. You can find me still on Twitter at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Uh, check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, I guess. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, Happy New Year. We'll see you all in the year of the rabbit. Bye.
I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.